Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Psalm 110. This is a great psalm, and we're going to spend some time in it. We're going to eventually get into some other passages as well. You'll learn a little bit today, so you're going to have to follow along a little bit, uh, but it's all going to be summarized under that one statement that you have in front of you in the handout that's been given. Uh, today will be, it's a very messianic psalm, uh, so we've gone back and forth between ones that are not and ones that are, and this one is very much so. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what this psalm helps us know better about God. But before we do that, I have to tell you about a, a dad who was tired of hearing his son complain. Anyone ever been there before? You had a kid that was complaining, and you're just kind of tired of hearing that. And uh, he was complaining about all kinds of things, complaining because he, he, he didn't have the same clothes his friends had. And so he, he was complaining, asking for a new wardrobe and new, new shoes, and he wanted to have the same brands that the other kids had. And, and as he just heard that over and over again, he, he finally said, you know, I gotta think of something else to do. So he, he brought out the what would Jesus do thing, you know? And he said, you know, son, what would Jesus do? Do you think Jesus would be asking for all these different things and these different clothes? Do you think Jesus would really want, uh, keep bothering dad about buying this stuff. And so the next time his son asked him for some clothes that would be clothes that was what his friends had, dad pulled that card out, you know, and he said, well, what do you think Jesus would do? And he said, fine, dad, I I give in. He's like, dad, if you'll just tell me what Jesus wears, I promise I'll wear those clothes too. And, you know, I don't think it quite got through to his kid. Um, but the the bedrock truth there still remains that we ought to follow Jesus and that he is worthy of our following. And that's what the dad was trying to get to his son. But you and I today need to look to the scriptures to help us see that Jesus Christ is worthy of our following. This psalm points all its readers to the priest king Messiah. The name Jesus would not have been known during that time when the scripture was being written and given, but it was very evidently being pointed, pointing to the Messiah. It is one of the most cited Old Testament passages, and it inspires you and I to faithfully follow our priest king. As we'll see today, this psalm is clearly a messianic psalm, one that points to who would be Jesus Christ. Interwoven interwoven in this psalm are six applications that we're going to pull out and that we're going to learn from today as we look to Jesus Christ from this psalm and from other psalms that look back at this because there's a whole, I mean, uh, other scriptures, there's a whole lot of other scriptures that uh, are given through time that point right back to this same psalm and point to Jesus Christ. And we're going to find... Six applications that we can take home to help us live a life that looks to our priest king. So we begin with the most cited verse of these, and that is verse 1. If you look with me in verse 1 of Psalm 110, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord said, this is David writing. David's the writer. God is giving these words to him, and he is writing, and he is saying, the Lord said unto my Lord. The statement that you have there in the lesson, if you'll follow along with me as I've shared it with you, I gave one that I think maybe you wouldn't quite expect. God spoke to God. God spoke to God here. God the Father spoke to God the Son. Jehovah, or Yahweh, said to Adonai, who would be the Davidic king, 
the, the one that would be in the line of David. And so the Lord, Jehovah, spoke to the Lord, the coming king, who was already there, had not come to Bethlehem yet, but was prophesied about over and over again in the scriptures. And he said to him, sit thou on my right hand. I believe that is specifically in reference to after the death, burial, and resurrection, now come sit on my right hand. And we'll see why I say that as we go into some of these verses. But the very beginning of this psalm starts out with saying, the Lord God, Jehovah, spoke to the Lord. And this is David writing, who at that time would be also called Lord. He was a king of Israel. He was the king of Israel. But David is speaking about a a different Lord, someone else, someone different, not him. God spoke to my Lord, and he called him my Lord. And so this verse is cited in the New Testament. It helps us see a number of things of G- about Jesus, about this Messiah. And so first I'd like us to see Acts 2, where Peter is preaching at Pentecost to people, and he cites this same verse. How does he use it? Let's look at it. It says, this Jesus, he's speaking about Jesus to a group of people who had recently experienced and some had been involved with the crucifixion of Jesus himself. And Peter had uh, seen Jesus. Jesus had been 40 days walking around and revealing himself to different believers. And Peter had experienced that. And now God is using him to preach at Pentecost. And, and here he says, this Jesus had God raised up whereof we all are witnesses, witnesses of that resurrection. Verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. So now he is at the right hand of God exalted and having received of the father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, God has now given us the Holy Spirit. He's saying he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. He's saying you're, you now see and hear this because they were seeing evidences of the Holy Spirit given to the church at that time. And then he says in verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, and then he quotes Psalm 110, 1, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. What is Peter doing here? He's doing what many other writers of this New Testament scriptures do. He's pointing back to Psalm 110, and he's attributing that statement to Jesus. And he is saying here that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is the same one that was talked about there. Here we see the identity of Christ being shown. The identity of Christ in Acts 2. Then we'll go on to Hebrews and we'll see Jewish believers that are, they're contemplating going back to Judaism. These are people that once they were following the rituals and the law that was given to the Jews and rightfully so by God, which was used by God to help bring them to the point of God's grace that would be given through his Messiah. And, and they are considering going back to Judaism there in the book of Hebrews. And so the writer of Hebrews, God is giving him these words to write to these people that are contemplating, who had been who had been believing on Jesus. They're contemplating rejecting him and going back to their old faith. And this is what he writes to them in verse uh, chapter one and verse thirteen. But to which of the angels said he at any time, "Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool"? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. What's he saying here? He's saying the whole book of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is better. Don't go back to Judaism. Jesus is fulfillment of what God was saying to the Jews all these years. I am a Jew. Possibly, it was possibly Paul who's being used to write. And he's saying here, he's saying, did God ever say to an angel, did he ever say to an angel, come sit on my right hand? No. He said this person that he was talking about was higher than an angel. He was deity. He was God. And he's pointing out and saying, rather, spirits, they're just sent forth to minister to those that are heirs of salvation, believers. 
Remember we talked about that last week? Where there we looked at how God protects those who believe on Him and follow Him. That God brings deliverance. And we talked about how He even sends angels to protect His people. That was so cool that we looked at last week. Well, here this is just affirming that and saying, that's all, angels are there as servants of God to do things He sends them to do. But they don't sit at the right hand of God. This was someone special in Psalm 110 is what is being said here. Here we see the superiority of Christ. Jesus is superior. And we're seeing that pointed out, and Psalm 110 is being quoted to point that out. Then we see in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 12 and 13, this, this again speaking about Jesus. Jesus, if you'll look at these uh, words uh, in Hebrews 10, verse 12 says, but this man, it's in contrast, it's talking about Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down where? On the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That's a, that's part of the quote of Psalm 110, verse 1. So he, he's pointing back to it, and what he's pointing out this time is the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. He's pointing out here saying, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father after he finished his work. What work did Jesus do that he finished? Anyone? The cross. It was what he did on the cross. So after he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended back up to the to heaven, and he finished the work. And Psalm 110 is being cited for that. Now we'll go to Matthew 26. We'll hear from Jesus himself. Jesus is, is speaking to the sitting high priest at his trial, about to be taken to the cross. And here he is at this trial. The sitting high priest is there speaking with Jesus and he, he is a bit of interrogating Jesus. And so look with me in the verses in Matthew 26, verse 63 will begin there. It says, but Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, unto Jesus, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the son of God. Here he's trying to get Jesus to just plainly confess, who do you say you are, Jesus? Because he had, he had been giving parables and, and teachings that would point him to Jesus. He had made some very clear statements of who he was to his disciples, but not to everyone. And here he's trying to get Jesus to go ahead and say it. Because if you were to call yourself God and you were not, it would be blasphemy to the Jews. And so Jesus saith unto him, verse 64, thou hast said. First of all, he's just saying what you said is true right there. You've already said it. But then he says, but I'll go ahead and go on and say it. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting where? On the right hand of power. Talking about the right hand of God and coming in the clouds of heaven. That's referring to when he comes and makes his enemies his footstool, which is a reference to them being under his feet. And so he's making the same reference to Psalm 110 and saying, Okay, you want me to say it? And he goes ahead and says it. He says, you're going to see the Son of Man, which he liked to call himself, sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven, his return. Now you say, well, that didn't point at, that, that wasn't Jesus saying that I'm the Son of God, I am God. Because some people would say that, they'd say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God in the flesh. Oh, well, yeah, he did a whole bunch of times. We preached a series about that. But notice how the high priest responds here. You think the high priest thought this was just a eh, just a simple, casual statement? Then the high priest rent his clothes. He got all mad, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have of witness? In other words, do we need anyone else to come tell us Jesus said this? We've already seen it from his own words. We heard it. He says, Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? He says to the crowd of people, the people there, they answered and said, he is guilty of what? Death. Death. He's, he's blaspheming. He's saying he is, he is the son of God. He is saying that he's at the right hand of power. He's saying that he will return from the clouds of heaven. Jesus said that about himself. It wasn't just other people ascribing it to him. This was the, a declaration of Christ. 
This was a declaration of Christ. He's pointing back to Psalm 110, and he's declaring himself to be that person. Then we have one more that I'd like to point out here that's in Matthew chapter 22, and this one is really, really good. Jesus is speaking to Pharisees after he had been questioned over and over again by Sadducees and Pharisees, these religious leaders. They've been coming to Jesus, and they're trying to ask him all these hard questions. And they're trying to trip him up in their questions, trying to get him to to have error in his doctrine and his teaching, and then to be able to point it out to everyone else and say, you know, how can you follow this man? Did you hear what he said? They're trying to trip him up. But none of them could. Not a one. They'd ask these questions, and he would turn those questions around and ask another question and answer. But notice what happens here. After all these questions were being asked to Jesus, he decides to ask a question. So in Matthew 22, verse 41, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. So now he asks them a question. What's he ask them? He says, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, the son of David. So what do you think of the Messiah that's talked about in the Old Testament? What what do you think of this prophesied one who would come? Who do you think he really is? And they said, well, he's the son of David. We know that. He's the son of David. Jesus points out, well, he's more than the son of David. But he does it with a question. He saith unto them, verse 43, how then did David in spirit, as he's writing a psalm, call him, the Messiah, the uh, call him Lord, saying, and then he quotes, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jesus then said, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So he says, Now, to us, it may not seem like a big deal, but David as king would not call his son my Lord. Rather, his son was was part of his lineage, and David would be his Lord. But this son was supreme over David. Who is this? I know this little bit for you to follow here, but this is helping us see fulfillment of what the Psalms are talking about. And notice how the people responded in verse 46. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So from then on out, they didn't ask him questions trying to trip him up because he was tripping them up. That's pretty awesome. Here you see the deity of Christ being pointed out. Jesus is pointing out that Lord that's being talked about. He's not just just a human son of David. He's more than that. And he asked him the question, and even these students of the law could not answer that question without revealing that it had to have been more than just a human uh, 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 son of David that would be this Messiah that God's talking about. It was something more. No one asked Jesus any more questions after that point. What we see in all of this that I'd like to point out here is that you and I need to see Jesus as Lord. We need to, in our life, not only see Jesus as Savior, but see Jesus as Lord. And we've seen some passages of the Bible that have pointed this out, seeing him as king, but specifically here, seeing him as Lord. There's a Colorado native that moved to Texas and he built a big house with a beautiful big window that he could see all the landscape and came from Colorado to Texas. But he complained. He said, you know, the only problem is I've got, you know, I've got this big house and this big window and I look out, but there's nothing to see. It's just all flat land. There's just nothing. And then you had the person, a different person that was a Texan. And this Texan moved to Colorado. And this Texan built a big house. It was beautiful. Big, picturesque window. And he said, the only problem about where I live is I look out this window and I can't see far at all. These big mountains, these rocky mountains are in my way. I just can't see. You know, it's a a truth and a sad thing that oftentimes 
obvious things that are right in front of us, we just can't value or see. And it is very obvious in the scriptures that Jesus is Lord. And these people that were trying to crucify Jesus at that time, they just couldn't see it. And Jesus was pointing that out, but they didn't see it. But you and I need to be sure that we see Jesus as Lord. Don't miss seeing Jesus as Lord. Then we'll go on to verses 2 and 3 of our text. So that was all about Psalm 110 verse 1. Now let's look at verses 2 through 3 here. Here we'll see where it says, The Lord shall send the rod. So the Lord Jehovah God shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. And then it says, Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Here the Lord is talking about sending. He shall send the rod of thy strength. We're not going to go to scriptures about the rod of his strength, but there are scriptures that point and call Jesus the rod or the stem of Jesse. And here he is saying he'll send him out of Zion or Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and he'll rule in the midst of his enemies, referring to his coming. And then notice in verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the day where he would come and set up his kingdom and reign. This is futuristic. Who's thy people? Well, that would be all believers that have believed on God, on Christ. And that would include you and I if we trust Christ. So thy people will be willing. Willing to do what? Willing to follow him. Willing to be with him. Here we see, I'll give you a statement, God will send the Messiah to rule as king with his willing people. God will send the Messiah to rule as king with his willing people. There's a lot more to our future than what we think. And sometimes it's hard because I speak about this and a lot of times our life is just full of, I'm just trying to figure out how to operate tomorrow. I'm just trying to figure out how to, you know, achieve my goals at work and pay my bills and love my spouse and, and teach my children and, and take care of my health. And I got this doctor's appointment coming up and I got all these things and that's our life so much. But bear with me for a moment because as a preacher of the word of God, what I have to do sometimes is say, Hey, I know all that's going on, folks, but there is a bigger picture and God God wants us to see once in a while that big picture and say, hey, there's a little bit more going on than all of that. It's so easy for me and for you to get so full of the rat race of life that we just can't see outside of it. But sometimes we need someone to say, hey, wait, wait, hold on just real quick. I just want you to see the bigger picture a little bit. And that's what this psalm is helping us do. That we get to be willing servants with God. Here we see that, that this Messiah will be sent out of Zion in the midst of enemies and with willing servants that are adorned in beauty and righteousness. Now it goes on to say a little bit more and, and uh, talk about uh, verse uh, 3, in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, probably that's talking about from the dawn of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth or strength. Um, but uh, ultimately, this is talking about willing people following the Messiah as king. But here I want to point out that there's no need to wait for that. Because the scriptures don't tell us to just wait to be willing servants of God. Consider with me Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Just look at a few verses that encourage us to be willing servants of God's now. Verse 1 says... I beseech you, okay, this is not saying I recommend. Hey, just think about this. He said, I beseech you, please listen to me here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. He said, I beseech you here, please. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God to say, God, I am yours. Not just God, give God, help me with what I want, but also to say, hey, God, I am yours. 
and it's my reasonable service to present myself as not a dead sacrifice, not a sacrifice. God doesn't call us to go commit suicide. God doesn't call us to, as as some would have, uh, radical beliefs to go commit suicide, to try to take care of the heretics. No, no, no. He actually calls us to be living sacrifices, and it's harder to be a living sacrifice. A one-time decision to be a martyr is tough, but day-to-day decisions to say that I will die to those desires and, and, and passions and I will live for what you want for me, God, is harder because it's a day-to-day decision to say, I, I want to be a willing servant. Verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world. So don't conform yourself to the, the way of the world. That's what they're talking about. The thoughts, the, 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 the thought process of the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a renewing of our, our thoughts, our mind, who we are. That, why? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have just seen in the scriptures that it is God's will and it will be fulfilled that willing servants will follow Jesus Christ, will follow the Messiah. And so let's go ahead and show that now as willing servants. Let's follow now. Let's prove and show forth God's will in our life and what he will do in the future. It is our reasonable service to present ourselves now to God as a living sacrifice. We ought to be transformed in expectation of God's will for our life. So the second application we have, we have six that we're going to look at. The second one is to be a willing servant. Look, uh, see Jesus as Lord, be a willing servant. Now look with me in verse four, if you will. The Lord has sworn and will not repent or change his mind from this. Thou art a priest. How long? Forever. Forever. After the order of, what's that word? Melchizedek. I know you look at that and I told my wife, I'm like, I got a few passages I'm going to go through and people are going to be like, what are you talking about? And I might have already done that a little bit. I'm trying not to. So bear with me here, okay? But I, to, to really draw out what this psalm is saying, I, we need to plow through a few of these, okay? And so that word Melchizedek, and so he's saying that you're a priest forever. Whoever this person is, this Lord that the Lord is talking about, he's saying that he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was appeared in the book of Genesis before the law had been given and before the Levitical priesthood had been set up, before there were priests, okay? And and this person was, uh, 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 God uh, brought a victory for Abraham and Abraham brought a tithe of what, uh, the spoils that he'd received and he brought it to this Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a type of, Jesus Christ or a Christ, the coming Christ in the Old Testament. Some believe he was, here's another big word for you. Okay. Just forget about it. If, if it, if it stops you, but a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Remember when we preached and went through as many of those as we could find in the Bible. So that was possibly an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Uh, but either way, he was a typification of Jesus Christ. And so here you have this person that the scripture is pointing back to and saying, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not the Levitical priests. He's not under the law. He's not a Levitical priest. He's actually a priest before there ever was one. You know what the Bible says about Melchizedek? I'm not going to go there today, but it talks about how he has no mother or father. He has no beginning, no end. Who is a person like that? that was physically on this earth. Well, there's no other person but Jesus Christ. Never had a beginning, never has an end, never has a start to his priesthood, never has an end to his priesthood. Jesus. And so this psalm is saying that this priest king is after the order of Melchizedek, which I believe was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus then pointing to Jesus to come. So here's a statement I'll share about this verse. God will fulfill his oath or promise 
of an eternal priest and king through the Messiah. God will fulfill his oath of an eternal priest and king through the Messiah. Now, this is a promise that had been given in the Old Testament in numerous occasions, not just of a coming king, but a coming priest king. Now, the priest king distinguished is not given too often because it was always, those two roles were always separated in the Old Testament. You didn't have a priest who was also a king. No, you, you have a king and then you have a priest. Saul got in trouble because he tried to do priestly duties when he was a king. He got in trouble for that. They were to be separated. But this person is going to be both. Hebrews 6 talks about this being fulfilled and explains that, but I'm not going to go there today because we have a lot of passages we're going into. But I do want to point out one Old Testament one called in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. This is one that talks about this king and priest. Zechariah 6, 13. It says, even he, speaking of this, this person, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest. So he's going to rule on a throne and he's going to be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. So this is just one example of several of Old Testament pro- prophecies of someone to come that would be a king and a priest. Are you all following me okay? With me? I'm a little afraid going into this, okay? So stay with me, okay? Hebrews chapter 5 then goes on, verses 5 through 10. It says, this is, this is making it very clear that, that this person is, is Christ. Hebrews 5 verse 5 says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest. So in other words, he didn't just make himself a high priest. Everything God does, he does it as the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And he's saying here, but he that said unto him, who's he that said unto him? Jehovah, God the Father. He that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Verse 6, as he saith also in another place. I wonder where this place is. Ready? Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where do you think that was? Psalm 110. It's our passage where we're at. So Hebrews is pointing back saying about this person, Jesus, again, writing to people that are saying, maybe we should go back and, and, and just practice Judaism. Maybe we shouldn't follow Jesus anymore. All this suffering, all this, all this persecution that's happening, false doctrine that's being taught, and they're saying, you know what? We started following Jesus, but I don't know about this. And, and, the, and God is using the writer of Hebrews to, to plead a case to help them see, oh no, there's nothing to go back to. Everything back there was pointing to where we are now. It was all pointing to Jesus then. And he's saying, and quoting some scriptures like Psalm 110, and saying, hey, remember in one place it says, today I've begotten thee, and another place it says, thou art the priest after the order of Melchizedek, like we read in Psalm 110. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard that he feared. That's a description of Jesus suffering on the cross and offering prayers and strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard. And then verse 8, though he were a son... Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So here's something very interesting about Jesus. Jesus is, is God, yet he was made more perfect as our high priest by the sufferings he went through. What does a priest do? A priest is a go-between. A priest allows you to go to them, and they go to God for you. When Jesus came, he took out any need for human priests, because he is the high priest. We come to the God-man, Jesus, who became our priest, so that way we could go to the Father through him. 
And he understands us because he endured affliction. He understands obedience to God when it's hard because he was obedient to the cross when it was hard. You don't just have a God out there somewhere who says, you know, do what I say. You have a God who came to us and says, I actually obeyed myself. The son obeyed the father to the death of the cross and now says to us, do the same. So you don't have a distant, disconnected God who doesn't understand the trials and difficulties of obeying him. We have a God who personally has experienced it and was made more perfect by that experience. That didn't change the character of who he was. God cannot be changed. We've talked about that before. He could not become different in his character, but in that role, that act, enabled us to be able to say, you've been where I've been. You've gone further than will I'll ever go. I can trust you to be my go-between. You understand God because you are God. You understand Humanity because you took on humanity. It's amazing. And God decided to make himself that way for us. Then it goes on to say in verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And that's obeying him in faith. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was sent from the Father to be our high priest. As the high priest, Jesus offered, notice, he offered himself. He didn't offer an animal like all the other priests did. He offered himself. Jesus is priest after the order of Melchizedek, which, again, I may lose you on that, but that's, that was book of Genesis before the law was ever given, before priests were ever set up. There's already an eternal priest, and Jesus is that high priest. He's the fulfillment of it. Hebrews 7 gives us some more. And I'm going to go through this. I'd like you to follow this. Verse 19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. So it's saying that the law that was given, it didn't perfect anyone or anything. The law showed us and it brought us to the point of needing God's perfection and needing God's grace. Verse 20, and in so much as not without an oath, he was made priest. Sounds a little strange how it said. It's pretty much a saying that Jesus was made a priest by an oath, not without an oath. He was made a priest with an oath. And as you read through and continue looking at more, I, I'm going to skip down past verse 21, pretty much just says that, that the other priests, they were made priests by God's law to them, but he was made a priest by oath. Then if you go to verse 23, it says, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So there was many priests in the Old Testament time because they all, they all were going to die. But this one, verse 24, this man, because he continueth forever, never dies, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Unchangeable. Verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now this is pretty awesome here. I know we're getting down the weeds a little bit in the Bible here, but this is saying that because Jesus came and became our priest, we are able to come to God by him who came and he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's like a lawyer pleading on your behalf. He is a priest going to the father saying, God, the son, John, John needs you. John's praying to you. Listen to John. He is, he is coming to you. The only reason why I can come to God in prayer is because Jesus is saying, Father, John's, John's won't talk to you right now. And he is my, like my go-between, my lawyer. He is my priest on my behalf, giving allowance for us to actually come to God. It's pretty amazing. And this, this is what was prophesied about, about this priest that would come and be a priest king. Notice some definite, some descriptions of this priest. Verse 26. 
For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Talking about Jesus. Now, he dwelt among sinners. That's an interesting thought. He dwelt among sinners, but he was still separate from sinners. You know, it's possible to be among people that don't believe in God and don't follow God and live in opposition to God and, and be among them and love them, but still be separate. And that's what Jesus did. And then we see in verse 27, who needeth not daily, as those high priests, those old ones, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up who? Himself. He didn't offer an animal. The other priests, they would actually have to offer a sacrifice for their sins, and then they would have to offer sacrifice for the people's sins. But Jesus didn't have to do that. The law and Levites helped forerun or bring in this new promise of God, but Jesus is our promised, unchangeable, eternal high priest. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate, and exalted. And so we're just trying to take a moment to point this out. I know it's kind of heavy. It's going to get lighter. Everything moving forward as, as, we, as we, we bring this to a conclusion in a little bit. But we're trying to point to Jesus to see that Jesus, Jesus is a lot more, as we know, than the, the babe of Bethlehem. Or even the, the, the sacrifice on the cross. He's eternal God who was prophesied to come and be our king and our priest. So the application I'd like to give here is just simply go to your high priest. Go to your high priest. Think about Jesus as, you know, when you you ever had like a, a boss or maybe kids, a teacher, and there was someone that knew that boss or knew that teacher really well. And you were trying to communicate with them, but you just, you just really couldn't. So you went to the person that knew them well. And you went to that person and that person helped you communicate with the, with the teacher or the boss. Ever been there before? Yeah. Or how about when, when kids want to do something special and they, they, they go to, they like uh, if, if they want to get the, the neighbor kid or, or, or parent to do something, they'll go to the one that's close to the parent and they'll say, hey, can you, can you talk to them, them about this? And, and they're trying to influence the parent. They're trying to influence the other person through the person that they think has the best likeliness of influencing them. Go to the high priest Jesus. He is our way to God the Father and think about how God came. He didn't have to do this, but he chose to come to us and endure our afflictions, feel hunger, feel rejection, so that way as he's our go-between and we come to him and say, God, this is tough right now in my life. We don't have to say, I know you don't understand it. You can leave that out of your vocabulary, out of your prayers. You could say, I know you do understand it. I know you've been there. God, someone is, is unjustly treating me. And I know you know exactly and even more how that feels, Jesus. And I know you know exactly God's perspective about it because you're God. You're one with the Father. And so I'm able to go to this mediator, go to your high priest. Verses 5 through 7 says, The Lord at thy right hand, speaking about the same person, shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Talking about the day of his coming, his judgment, which we've talked about in previous Psalms. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. That means the leaders of countries that are leading in battle against him. This is the, the return of Christ. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up the head. Last time Jesus was here, he had his head lifted down on the cross. He gave up the ghost. Here when he comes, he's going to lift up the head. And there will be victory. And he will make all things new. Here we simply see God declares the victory. God declares the victory. 
And he's describing some of the victory that takes place in these, in these few verses. One night there was a basketball banquet and the president of a junior college was congratulating the coach and, ta- coach and just talking about how great of a coach he is and how, what a great job he has done. And after he did that, the beaming coach just went aside to the president and asked, would you like me as much as you do and talk as good of me if we didn't have all these wins, you know, if I didn't have all these wins for you? And the president put his arm on his shoulder and he said, sure, I would like you just as much, but I would miss having you around. (laughs) Because everybody likes being on a winning team. And, you know, it's nice to look at a psalm like this that talks about God's victory and willing servants, us, with him, and saying, hey, I know I got some life defeats. I know I've got some challenges I go through, but thanks be to God that I know there is big picture of victory I get to be a part of. And it's pretty fun being on a winning team. And once in a while, you just got to take some pause for a little while and say, I'm glad I'm on the winning team. Rejoice in the declared victory. Just rejoice. Rejoice in the declared victory. Now I'm going to bring us to a conclusion, big picture, look at two scriptures, give you these points, and we'll come to a close. These applications are just big picture, looking at the different testaments that God has given us, the new and the old. And I want us to see Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3.1. If ye then be risen with Christ... So if you, if you have, if you're risen with Jesus Christ, if you're saved, you're risen with Christ. You are in Christ and you're risen from being dead. You are in Christ. And he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Psalm 110 is talking about Jesus being at the right hand of God. And here's just a New Testament verse saying, hey, When you think about Jesus being the right hand of God, set your affection on things that are there. We all have a challenge to set our affection on things there because it's a lot easier to set affection, your heart's desires, on things that are around us. I'm there, you know, in a little bit. You know, I'm ready to go eat. I'm going to be affectionate for some food. That's just life. It's reality. My kids... Sure, this afternoon, I'm sure later this evening or something, they're going to be affectionate to play some ball or to do something fun. And I'm going to do it with them. And we're going to have a good time. That's, that's, that's part of life. But we need to set our affection on things that are above this life. And we have to think about where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, what matters to Him there. And I want to Seek those things now. So the simple application is seek things that matter where Christ is now. Seek things that matter where Christ is now. And then we'll end on Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and three through 3, it talks about us being in a race, almost like a coliseum in the Roman time and people watching and looking in. And it says in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, because a runner doesn't want to carry weights, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Okay, so that's, that's the beginning. It's saying, let's run a race that's before us. Now here's our motivation. Look at verse 2. Looking unto what? Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's the joy of what is to come with you and us and him. For that joy of me and you, for the joy of our redemption, for the joy of our relationship with God, for that joy, for, for the joy of God and you, God and us, He says, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, like Psalm 110 talks about. Now verse 3 says, for consider him. 
think about him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. This is saying, hey, think about all that endurance Jesus went through for the hope of being with you and for the redemption of me and you. Think about that and let that motivate you to not faint, to not be wearied in your minds, to keep going on. And so my last application here is simply to look to Jesus and follow his lead. Look to Jesus and follow his lead. Here we have a psalm that's lifting up Jesus as our priest king. And we took four applications directly from the psalm and then two other applications from other scriptures just telling us to set our affection on Christ and on the things that matter to him there and look to him for our lead, that he would lead us. I think when I think of someone that might have set their affection on Christ and decided to follow his lead, I think of a missionary named David Livingston. He was a pioneer missionary in Africa, and he walked over 29 miles for ministry's sake. His wife died early in their ministry, and he faced stiff opposition from his Scottish brethren. He ministered half-blind. His kind of perseverance can motivate. When you see someone who left his, his country, went to Africa and in a continent and decided to serve God there where people with people he did not know and it had not been a there had not been a plowed ground of churches being planted like there's much more of today very difficult lost his wife and served half blind and had challenges and he wrote this in his diary i want you to hear these words as we come to a conclusion he wrote this and some have turned it into songs he says Send me anywhere. He's writing to God. Send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever me from any tie. Any, any tie that I have close that I care about, just sever that tie. He experienced that. But the tie that binds me from your service and heart. He says, God, I just want to go where you want me to go. Here we're encouraged in Psalm 110 that Jesus is the fulfillment of the priest king. We ought to be inspired today to say, I follow an amazing God. And I want to follow Jesus, my priest king. I want to be a willing servant. I want to set my affection to him. I want to follow my priest King. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.